Uh, we're going to be reading from Exodus 16 today. Uh, that's on page 75 of the Bibles you'll find in the pews. If you don't want to follow along with us, that's absolutely fine. I'll read it out and so we'll all be able to hear it once I can actually read the page. <laughs> we're going to begin at verse 2 and go to the end of verse 5 and then we're going to read a bit more from verse 13 onwards. So Exodus 16, verse 2 says this. Uh, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for the day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. And jumping to 13, that evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew on the ground. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer, that's about a pound by the way, uh, for each person to have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told, some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one had gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses and kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you always for the opportunity to hear from you, to learn from you, and be the kind of people that you want us to be. We pray that our hearts be open to whatever it is you wish us to learn this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So this is, this is a kind of interesting text for me to preach because it's literally the only part of the Bible I remember from Sunday school. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't very good at Sunday school, which will come as no surprise to anyone here. I was a, a few, about 10 years afterwards when I just started working at a church, one of my Sunday school leaders came up to me and she said, James, I just want you to know you were the worst one. <laughs> That's probably fair. I don't, I don't blame her. Um, but I also realized that a lot of my childhood experiences don't translate to Canadian. I kind of like assume they do. And then I say like, we all remember this thing from childhood. And everyone's like, no, James, we don't have those things in Canada. Like, that doesn't work. Uh, anyway, so the, uh, this, this uh, week I took to Facebook and asked if people knew what pink wafers were. And uh, I don't know, give me a nod if you think you know what a pink wafer is, by the way. Again, kind of split. Like, most people seem fairly sure. Uh, Lots of people had lots of comments. Uh, One friend of mine who is quite funny said, uh, people will only know if you call them Madame Celine Dion's. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's what we call them in Canada. I don't think he was telling the truth. Anyway, my point is that as a child, we learned about manna in the desert by being given these pink wafers and said, this is probably what the manna tasted like a little bit. Like, that's, that's what our Sunday school teachers did. Um, I mean, the scriptures do say that it tasted like coriander and honey and not food coloring and corn syrup. But, you know, it's, it's close. That, that was, that's, that's the one thing I remember from Sunday school, basically. is uh, So we've got some wafers, so everyone's welcome to a wafer after the service. Um, <laughs> so today we're going to be looking at manna, and we're going to be looking at tests. We've been going through the book of Exodus for the past few weeks. We've been looking at the story of Moses and the Israelites' escape from Egypt. We've seen God's heartfelt response to the suffering of his people who are being oppressed by the Pharaoh. Uh, we've seen Pharaoh being forced to let his people go, and begrudgingly the Pharaoh does. Uh, and then the people miraculously escape uh, when God parts the sea, and then the sea collapses on Pharaoh's instruments of war. Uh, but it doesn't take very long until the people have kind of forgotten all the things God has done for them, and they start to grumble again. And that's kind of where we started today. But to be clear, the chapter before this has Israelites grumbling, and the chapter after this also has Israelites grumbling. It's a real, real, I complain a lot, so I'm like, yeah, I would have fit in well here. Uh, we hear this at the beginning of verse 2. Uh, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only you had let us die by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all we wanted, and you've brought us out in this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. And so this is where we kind of get to the real crux of the sermon, which is how God responds to these complaints, how God hears these complaints and what God does when he hears these complaints. The Lord says to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they're to get prepared what to bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Is it interesting that in response to this lack, this fear, this complaint, God decides to test his people? And I think many of us have very negative connotations of tests, some like terrible fear surrounding tests. Look, I failed my driving test the first time around, and it like really affected me. It really crushed me. I know that tests in school are something that are quite stressful for a lot of people. There might be some nerds out here that like tests, but you know most of us don't like tests. And so that kind of, we think that testers are kind of mean. And by extension, when we hear of God wanting to test people, we think, well, maybe God's being mean too. And a bit later, I'll look on what I think here is a test and a call to simplicity. But first, I want to focus on what is the point of this test? Why is it that God goes, you know what is going to be helpful here is a test for these people? And the other question I think is important here is, what is the intention of the person doing the testing? Are those tests ultimately designed to draw us closer to God or to pull us 
further away from God. We know that not all tests are from God. That's very clear in Scripture. In Genesis 3, the serpent tests Adam and Eve in the garden. They try to, the serpent tries to draw them further away from God and God's plan and God's promises. And Adam and Eve fail that test quite famously. Satan also tests Jesus in the desert. He tries to draw, draw Jesus away from this life of simplicity and humility. And thankfully, Jesus passes that test. So remember that as much as I'm talking about tests and passing tests, if life feels hard or cruel or that you've been tested, it doesn't necessarily mean that test is coming from God. It may be coming from someone that doesn't have your best interests at heart, someone who's trying to draw you away from that truth that you are loved by God. And in the desert, God's test to the people is really quite simple. Everyone's to gather as much as they need and don't keep anything until the morning. So it's, it's really simple. Like this test is, I gave you magical sky bread this morning. Do you believe I'm going to give you magical sky bread tomorrow morning as well? And, and of course, like I read this, like I read so much of scripture, I'm like, ha. Huh. Why didn't those guys think there was obviously going to be magical sky bread tomorrow? I'm like, eh, actually, let's be compassionate to them. That's a difficult thing to commit to and believe. Uh, just because this miracle has happened once, it might be difficult to believe that it would happen again. The second test is similar to the first one. Again, it's this test of don't work but rest on the seventh day. We hear that uh, in verse 27, a little bit later, nevertheless, the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, which is why on the sixth day he gives you the bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one's to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So these two tests are very simple, and I think their purpose is quite clear. Like, do you trust God to provide for you tomorrow? And, and some didn't. Some failed this test. And again, we can be very judgmental or harsh, but actually I think it's more important and powerful to be sympathetic to these people that struggled with the idea that there may be another miraculous supply of food tomorrow. And so they failed that test. They saved the food and it rotted. Some searched for food on the Sabbath and they didn't find any. But I believe at the core of this, when these tests are passed, the people are more able to see that God does provide, that God doesn't let them go hungry, that God doesn't need them to work every day of the week. When that test is passed, people better understand who God is and how much God loves them. Ultimately, it's unlikely that they probably would have realized this were it not this test. Each day, they learned more and more that God was one that they could rely on. One who had their best interests at heart. One was eager for them to know him more, to know his nature, to know how much he loved them, to know that he could be relied upon. But that's only possible because they had nothing, because they was fully reliant on him. I, I do believe that the core of this text is God's desperation to show 
the people just how much he loves them. Might have a little wafer just there. That's pretty good. That, that is, that's exactly how I remember them tasting. It's not pink, but that's exactly how I remember them tasting. Your mouth is so dry now. <laughs> but that place of nothingness, that place of utter dependence and full reliance, is just not a place where most of us find ourselves today. Um, there may be some people... Uh, who are, there may be some exceptions to that. And if you are listening and genuinely are not sure where your next meal is coming from, please let me know or let Caitlin know. Uh, we want to be able to help you out. That's really important to us. But most of us know where our next meal is coming from. Um, some of us may know where our next week's meals are coming from or next month's like when people go to Costco you're not going there for your like a daily amount of food <laughs> it's months worth that we're picking up at a time uh, one of the YouTube channels I watch sometimes because I have too much time on my hands uh, is a guy called Canadian Prepper anyone yeah all right there you go yeah you know about Canadian Prepper and this is someone who essentially knows where his next five years worth of meals are coming from and um, preppers are people who uh, to be blunt, think society is going to fall apart kind of soon. And so they want to be really prepared for when it does. So when diamonds and gold aren't worth anything, but food and water is, they just have storehouses full of this stuff. And I'm really not meaning to throw too much shade at my good friend Canadian Prepper here, uh, but this is the exact opposite of what is being expected of those Israelites in the desert. Canadian Prepper doesn't need to rely on anyone ever, and I'm not sure that's a good place for us to be. And to be clear, just so I'm not throwing shade at him, uh, I find myself in this place too, like, this is the first time in my life I've ever had savings. That's just not a thing I've done before. And that's mainly because I don't really buy stuff. Like, I don't know, these sneakers are on sale and Donna bought these jeans for me. Like, that's like how little money I spend on stuff. Um, but I think having stuff means I'm far, more, far less appreciative, rather. Of, of things that are offered to me. Like, so four years ago when I did not have a lot of spare money, uh, McDonald's had this promo where if the Raptors scored 100 points, you got a free large fries. And it was also the year that the Raptors won the championship. So <laughs> there are a lot of free fries that, that year. Uh, and that factored like quite heavily into my meal plans for the week. Uh, but, but I was like so thankful for those free fries. I was so thankful every time I got that meal. Like, it sounds silly, but it was this kind of beautiful reminder that, oh, yeah, God's on my side. God's got me. Like, I was wondering what I was going to eat, and now something has been provided for me. It wasn't magical sky bread, but magical fries from McDonald's um, and the strength of the uh, Raptors team in 2018, 2019. And so 2018, relying on Fry's James and Canadian Prepper are kind of two extreme ends of that scale. But I do think we clearly live in a society where it's good to prepare. And I wonder how often that might lead us away from reliance on God. 
like ultimately we all know it's good to have nest eggs and savings and retirement funds and something for a rainy day and something to fall back on. Like we've collectively kind of brought ourselves to a place where it no longer feels wise to rely on God. And I, I want to be really careful here and I haven't worked out how I can do that because if someone said to me tomorrow, like, James, good news, I sold my house, I gave all my money away, now what? I'd be like, I don't know. Um, that's terrifying to me. But I do think we need to recognize this tension more and that it's not just inherently good to have stuff. I don't think it's good to be in a place where we don't need to rely on God. I don't think it's good to be in a place where if God is testing us, we don't notice. I recognize that we are in a very different context to the Israelites millennia ago. But the scriptures, the Bible, the thing that we base our life so heavily upon does seem to speak a lot more about radical generosity as opposed to radical hoarding. Like, here's, here's a question I've been thinking about it this week, and I mean it, like I just want us to think about what it might look like. How different would your life be? How would different would everyone's lives be if everything that we didn't need after today just rotted? Like anything more than you need for here and now is gone tomorrow. I could be wrong, but I feel like we'd be way more generous, right? Like there's, there's no need to hold on to it because tomorrow it's going to be useless, so I want you to have what I have because there's not going to be a need for it tomorrow. I think we'd be more generous. I think we'd be more reliant on God. I think we'd have more experiences of God loves and, and those opportunities to share God's love with others. Nowadays, our excesses don't rot, they gain interest. <laughs> and we can go into this on another day. The Bible is not a fan of interest for a lot of very good reasons. But whilst our excess doesn't rot, it's not like the Lord's Prayer tells us to pray for our daily interest rates either. Jesus instructs us to play, pray for our daily bread, and, and we should. We should pray for that daily opportunity to experience God's love, God's provision, to know that God is thinking for us in that moment. Jesus clearly has this Exodus story in mind when he tells us to pray this. And Jesus doesn't instruct us to pray for monthly bread or yearly bread or five years of bread, even weekly bread, because that's missing the point. Pray for your daily bread here and now in this moment. Elsewhere, and I won't go on this for too long, y'all know how I feel, I think. But elsewhere, Jesus talks about the danger of storing up treasures in storehouses, speaks constantly about radical generosity and radical reliance on God. And I don't think he's doing this because, because he wants us to go without or suffer necessarily. I think it's because he wants us to know these tests are there and these tests are opportunities to see how much God loves us. For God to reveal God's provision in all of those spaces. But what if anything more than our daily bread just rotted? 
uh, in the epistle of James, my favorite epistle because he's angry about things. Uh, he says at the end, like, our wealth rots and the wages that we don't pay the poor people scream out as a testimony against us to God. Like, it's really fierce in there. And, and like, how as a society do we think we're doing with that? Like, I promise not to turn every sermon into some radical pro-union rant, but, like, I'm going to at some point, obviously. Because this affects people right now in the moment. Like, as the province sits on $2 billion of surplus, educational assistants, who are some of the worst-paid people in society, ask for, like, enough to live, and we're like, no, it's not enough for you. If that $2 billion rotted, I think we'd be far less worried about holding on to it. What does it look like to be generous? What does it look like to see what God is doing in that space? What does it look like when we are tested to, to be generous? And we as a church right now, we're in the midst of these decisions too. Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned it before, but I think it's important to talk about. Like We are running a deficit, uh, but we also have savings. So that's interesting. What choices do we make to show that we are fully dependent on God? And outside of the financial stuff, y'all know there have been a lot of challenges in the church, uh, and, and those tests have come thick and fast and hard. I know we've been tested. I don't know who's doing that testing. I, I still don't know. Uh, but I do believe that all of those tests have brought us closer to God. I believe they have brought us to a place where we love each other more, where we are more dependent and more reliant on God and have a greater understanding of who God is because of those tests. We've got to see how faithful God is in the midst of things that don't make sense, how God is bigger than all of this. Whoever is doing that testing, I know that I feel more loved by God than I did before. So, so tests aren't necessarily bad, <laughs> but they are always opportunities. I, I thought I'd finish with a test that I failed recently, because it's good to stay humble up here, I suppose. I think that God puts people in our lives, sometimes only for a few moments, as an opportunity to show his love and for us to experience his love more. Uh, and a few days ago, a lady knocked on my door, like saying that she was selling candy bars to raise money for her family back home. Um, and I'm this awkward balance of like, I like to think I'm really generous, but I'm also very skeptical of everything. <laughs> so when someone comes to my door, I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy, whatever. But anyway, I decided it was more important to be generous than skeptical in this moment. So I spent like 20 bucks on four disgusting candy bars because whatever. But then, but then this woman kept talking to me, and I'm like, you've got your money. Like, why is this? <laughs> Surely I shouldn't be having this conversation now. And I'm thinking, you know, you've, you've won here. But, but she kept on asking me, you know, what I was up to. And, uh, and I, you know, there were like Iranian uh, protests regarding Iran on Young Street, and she was talking to me about that. Um, and I don't think I was impolite. You know, I find it impossible to be impolite to people. Uh, but had she come to my office, I would have happily spoken to her for hours. But because of the, I felt that this was an interruption, uh, I didn't give her as much time as, with hindsight, I should have done. 
Like I was actually kind of busy and, and after a couple of minutes the conversation ended and I wished her a happy day and her family well and she seemed happy enough. But afterwards I thought like maybe this was a test from God. Maybe this was an opportunity to like love my neighbor more. Maybe it was an opportunity to experience that love too that I wasn't quite listening to. And so I wonder as well, other times when these tests just feel inconvenient and so we miss that opportunity to share who God is or miss that opportunity to to feel God's love in that moment. I, I don't think tests should be seen as bad things but as opportunities and I wonder what I could have learned if I'd opened myself up a bit more in that moment. Uh, scripture says Job says, who's a man who has been through an awful lot, um, that when I've been tested, I will come forth as gold. And, and that's my hope and my prayer and my prophecy for us as individuals and, and us as a church too, that as we are tested, we will come forth as gold. Amen? Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And Lord, whatever that testing may come in our lives, we pray that we rise to the occasion and we see it as an opportunity to know you more, to love you more, and to see you in the midst of all things. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.